This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. We are broadcasting tonight from the Triple R Studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. A big thanks to Simona who was filling in for Fee tonight for the last three hours of MAPS. Uh, I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I am joined in the studio tonight by one of the many reviewers that make up the star-studded primal screen team. It's Will Cox. Hey, Will. Hey, Flick. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. How long can we say that? I don't know. It's the first show of the year. Until the 1st of Feb. It is. It is indeed. (laughs) I should say that. We are back in the studios after a lovely long hiatus. Uh, So, yeah, it's nice to be back. Uh, And a big shout out to all the wonderful hosts who jumped on board and helped out over the summer. Um, We're going to catch up on some of the fantastic films that also came out over the summer. There's so many to mention, but we're going to start with uh, Justine Trier's Anatomy of a Fall. Um, Seems a bit reductive to call it a courtroom drama, but it is set in a courtroom and it is very dramatic in a very quiet and beautiful way, which uh, we'll get into, I'm sure, in just a moment. And we'll also hear from some of the other members of our team with their recommendations on the best film that they've seen this summer. And later tonight, we're going to touch upon some of the controversy surrounding the Oscar nominations, um, less so on, you know, should Barbie be included and more so on how how this voting system actually actually works because I think a lot of us um, may not be across it uh, in terms of who makes up the academy? I, I am still quite mystified, even having been doing some research on yeah. it. But we can talk about why. But I mean, Barbie's, yeah. Barbie's status in there as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's more just interesting of whether the Oscars are still relevant and um, who makes up that committee. But we'll get into that later tonight. And look, it's an overwhelming task to do a summer recap episode because it's been a really stacked uh, season for new releases. Um, a few of which you may have heard reviewed on the summer 
Summer Show, which was hosted by Eloise Ross, Summer Stock, which is described as a balmy summertime season of cinematic love, lust, abandoned shoes and magic hours. Um, you can listen back to all of those summer eps on the Triple R website. I'd also like to give a special uh, shout out to Morty Oswan and Carl Chapman, who were covering Primal Screen Time Slot over the Christmas break. You can also listen um, back to those special episodes at rrr.org.au. They did a wonderful one on soundtracks, which um, I'll have to get them on this year because it was such a fantastic listen. I feel like we end up talking a lot about sound, sound design, the music choices, which I'm sure we'll get into later tonight, but there's some great episodes in uh, late December that you can check out. Uh, And last week, you may have heard Eloise and Cerise Howard discussing the film that we're going to hear about in a moment um, on Summerstock. And it is a primal screen regular Sally Christie's favourite film of the summer so far. Hi, primal screen. Happy 2024. Um, This is Sally Christie with my favourite summer watch. Um, Of course, poor things blew everybody's mind. Absolute masterpiece. Uh, But for me, what I guess kind of took me by surprise was The Iron Claw. Uh, Sean Durkin's last film, The Nest, absolutely blew me away. And that was kind of the reason why I went to see The Iron Claw. I didn't know anything of the source material. Um, Needless to say, it had a very big impact on me. Uh, But the director, Sean Durkin, the way that he can do a melodrama is just incredible beautiful slowly paced storytelling really really effective emotive and Zac Efron's performance in this film is incredible it's gentle it's nuanced it's just beautiful a really really incredible piece of cinema so highly recommend The Iron Claw if you haven't seen it yet Ever since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing could ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. Morning. Pants tomorrow, please, David. Harry, I want you to join your brothers in the ring. Yes, sir. I love that. Now, we all know Carrie's my favorite, then Kev, then David, then Mike. But the rankings can always change. What do you want in life, Kevin Von Eric? More ribs. <laughs> I want to be with my family. You know, be with my brothers. What do you like to do with your brothers? This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Hello, this is Thomas Caldwell and you're listening to Primal Screen on 3 Triple R 102.7. It's been a pretty good uh, summer for film going in Australia, especially especially the films that have come out in January most recently. And my highlight has been All of Us Strangers, which is the latest film by English writer-director Andrew Haig. Um, I have loved Andrew Haig's films up until now, but in particular I was a really big fan of his 2011 film Weekend, which is a very melancholic uh, romance 
romance and I love sad love stories. They just, you know, that kind of melancholic glow with romance always sucks me in and all of us strangers delivers that and then some. There's actually a lot to this film and I'd recommend going in knowing as little as possible because I think it's nice having this film uh, perplex you and then surprise you. But look, incredibly moving, powerful film. It's a really good example of the specific being universal. I think people who identify even closer with this story and these characters than I do will get even more out of this film. I nevertheless was blown away by it. Uh, beautiful film. Uh, it stars Adam Scott with Paul Meskell as a supporting actor, which is enough reason anyway just to see this film. Got to also say Jamie Bell and Claire Foy also really surprised me at just how damn good they are in this film. All of Us Strangers, already a contender for my favourite film of 2024. Is this real? Does it feel real? My boy's back home. Our son. Look at you. You were just a boy. Now you're not. It was a long time ago. I don't think that matters. I've always felt like a stranger in my own family. I'm always scared of something. Always running away, do you remember? Sorry I never came in your room when you were crying. It's funny, it doesn't take much to make you feel the way you felt back there again. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. And your home of sorts here on Primal Screen, <laughs> the home of movies. Uh, you're here with Will Cox and Flick Ford, and it is our first show back for 2024. That ad from FOMO before, they've stolen the theme from this program. <laughs> We're going to be uh, pursuing legal action. <laughs> to, to advertise their cinema, which is about yeah. three blocks from this very studio. Yes. Have and you been to FOMO yet? No, I haven't. No. no. I've got FOMO about FOMO. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's been, um, yeah, we did recognise that as it came on, but uh, lovely to hear from some of our <laughs> sponsors. Um, we are talking uh, all about summer films on tonight's episode and that beautiful, beautiful track you just heard, Johnny Come Home from Fine Young Cannibals, does feature in the film that was Thomas Caldwell's favourite film of this year. All of Us Strangers, which Will and I had the pleasure of seeing as part of MQFF, Melbourne Queer Film Festival, last year. Did it also play at MIF? Am I getting my wires tangled there? I don't know, actually. I don't think it did. Mm, I think a lot um, of buzz around that time and I couldn't yeah, remember uh, if it got Because, look, showcased. if there was an Andrew Haig film with <laughs> ghosts in it that... Um, was on the MIF program, I would have been the first thing I booked. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and countless others, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we did see it as part of um, Melbourne Queer Film Festival. If you were wondering why neither of us picked it for our top film of 2023, it's because technically it didn't get a cinema release until this month. So we couldn't put it on our list. But um, Will, would it, would it make your list for 2024? Yeah, this I think film? so. If mm. I remember, because I saw it in 2023. So if I remember it when I'm putting that list, 
this together, then absolutely. <laughs> That's but, part of the challenge. But I mean, it's it's a spectacular mm. film, you know. And as Thomas was saying, Andrew Haig, um, he made um, um, Weekend. Yes. And I think my favourite of his is um, Forty Five Years, yes. which is an incredible drama about an elderly couple on the eve of their anniversary finding new things out about their, mm. them, each other and their relationship. And it's just so beautiful. And I've, this is extremely beautiful as well. It really is. Um, Hayes' film is based on uh, Taichi Yamada's 1987, I think I've got that right, novel Strangers. Um, and it follows screenwriter Adam, played by Adam uh, Andrew Scott, who most listeners will recognise from Fleabag. He's the hot priest in <laughs> Fleabag. I can't think of his name, which is terrible, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Um Scott plays Adam, who is balancing a budding romance with his charismatic neighbour, Harry, played by Paul Mezcal. Um, perfect, perfect casting here. Um, but also balances that new romance with visiting his parents, Claire Foy and Jamie Bell, in his childhood home. I feel like it's a film I don't want to talk about too much because uh, there's so much uh, depth to it. And it's not as though it's like a twist film because it's so much more than that. And I think yeah. that sounds to, that kind of it's, it's misses reductive. the point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. it, it but, unfolds in ways that you don't want to know mm, everything as it happens. No. You just want to let it happen to you. Yes, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. And it's hard to really recommend it to listeners without giving too much. But I think just go on the fact that this has uh, got such a warm reception at MQFF. I feel like it was packed screening. They released another screening, which sold out almost immediately. Mm. Um, it has come up with it's got been given a whole bunch of BAFTAs um and well nominated I should say um it's just got so much to it and there's a real beauty to it especially with like creating a time period with but without it being kind of clunky or it yeah it's 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 it, <laughs> I'm tongue-tied over this film all of us strangers though it was Thomas's favorite film of the summer so far it is definitely going to make my 2024 list I mentioned before the whole heap of BAFTAs it's been nominated for outstanding British film of the year best director best actor best supporting actor zero uh, nominations for the Oscars. Right, Isn't was that, that a wild? US release date period thing as well? Was oh, that it could be maybe? It okay, seems, I don't know, but it's British. It's very that it, odd, doesn't it? It's a contemporary British film, like you know, set contemporary. So they don't. When are those nominated? Yeah, I don't know. it's very don't confusing. Know. More and on that later. Yeah, more on that later, <laughs> indeed. But um, another film that perhaps uh, I don't know if it got snubbed exactly, um, but it definitely didn't get nominated Barbie. for. <laughs> Well, it is a film with a female director and a powerful woman in the fore. Barbie. <laughs> I'm not talking about Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about Justine Trier's courtroom masterpiece, Anatomy of a Fall. Now, uh, Trier, um, there's a few different um, rumours, uh, sorry, I should say theories on why Trier's film was not nominated by France for Best International Feature for the Oscars. Uh, they instead put forward a, a film, the name I've forgotten of, Taste of, do you know the one I'm talking no, about? Taste no, no idea. They put forward another film, lesser known than Anatomy of a Fall. So it's looking kind of a little unlikely that this French film will get selected where Anatomy of the Fall seemed like an obvious choice. Um, but anyhow, we're going to be talking about this in depth because I saw it last night. It has 
stuck with me. Um, I don't know when you got a chance to, to see it, Will. Um, when Anatomy of a Fall? Yeah. This afternoon. Oh, fabulous. Okay, yeah. We're both it's very fresh very to this. Very fresh in my mind. But I don't know about you. I've been hearing so much about this from the very start. I love Sandra Huller. She's one of my favourite actors. Um, so I, was, I always had this on, on my list. Um, but let's get into it. So it's um, basically it's set in this remote French village. We have a young boy at the centre who takes his dog for a walk in the snow and when he returns, he discovers his father dead on the ground outside. Only his mother is home. Did he jump or was he pushed is the question that's at the centre of this courtroom drama. Um, but as the investigation and subsequent trial continues, other questions are raised about parental duty and equity in a relationship, the ethics of life informing art and the waxing and waning of desire over a long-term relationship. It is a rich, uh, beautifully complex film and one of my favourites so far this year. Um, So I'm very excited to have an opportunity to talk on it. Um, Let's start with the cast. So I mentioned Sandra Hula before. Um, Sandra is the, um, plays the wife, mother, author who is on trial. Uh, Listeners would likely have seen Hula in uh, Marin Adi's uh, Tony Erdman Mm. from 2016. Another favourite of mine. I highly recommend listeners go check that out. It's uh, couldn't even say it's a comedy. It's got so much more than <laughs> there's lots of different reg- emotional registers going in, in on in Tony Erdman, and we have that again in this um, much quite different performance from yeah. Hula. Um, the film also stars uh, Milo Machado Grana as her son Daniel, and uh, Swan Alao as a friend who represents her um, as her lawyer. Um, now, the role of Sandra was actually written with Hula in mind, and I always find that interesting when writers are. Uh, Coming to the story and the character with with their lead actor already picked out. I think it plays to Hula's strengths. She's you know, we, we open the film with her being a little bit flirty, very mm. charismatic, and then she's able to change and and occupy so many different emotional registers throughout this film. It's a long film, uh, yeah. two hours and 30 minutes, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that length at all. I thought no. it flew past, um, which is maybe not the best thing to say about quite a dark courtroom. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it absorbed you the whole time. Mm. That you, at no point did you, did you feel, did I feel like, okay, we could wrap this up now. Now we are pushing the the time limits, you know. The, uh, but I didn't feel like that at all. And what you were saying about Hula's performance, I mean, she's she's so perfect here as a woman who is complex and perhaps, I mean, because because of the way that this uh, trial uh, unfolds and becomes this big media circus, um, she presents as possibly as an unlikable person mm. like maybe she, mm. she's not she doesn't present as a, as a as a victim she presents as a real complex person and so much of the film is about how complexity um is completely uh, avoided evaded in the pursuit of a single truth mm. quote unquote in a courtroom and in our current sort of moment, obsession with true crime yes um which is really i think what this is all about Mm. It's saying, you know, we've got these two opposing facts. Did she do it? Did she not do it? One of which is completely untrue and the other one is 100% true. Mm. We don't know which. And um, she just, as a writer, unpicks it and says, no, nothing's 100% true. Mm. You know, this is far more complex than you could know. Well, I love that I'm getting an opportunity to chat about this film with you, Will, because you are a writer, you have... um 
you know, you're, I'm sure that a lot of what happens in your own life informs part of what you're writing. It's hard to escape that. Um, but Sandra as a central character, she's put on trial, not just for her role, her, her, her position as the partner of this dead man, but also for her, her written work. There's her, parts yeah. in which, um, you know, what she's written is, is brought in yeah. and, and she's kind of um, questioned. And like you say, she's kind of unlikable. And I love that about Hula, that she yeah. chooses roles where she's allowed to be um, many things. Yeah, she's unlikable. I mean, I use this word in a very simplistic way. I mean, she's unlikable from a perspective of she's not a simplified person that you're going to immediately fall in love with, you know. Mm. Um, But but she's a a, a real feeling person um, who's not afraid to be. Uh, not liked and mm. and yeah I do think about this when I write I mean it's no uh, coincidence at the beginning of this film she's having a conversation with an interviewer about the blurry boundary between truth and fiction and when it's cut short by her husband playing music upstairs uh, and the whole courtroom drama is about subjectivity conjecture and dramatic license and um yeah as a writer I'm constantly thinking about truth and fiction and how far you can go when writing either one into into the other mm. um so, yeah, I think I'm going to think about this film for a long time. It got, it got under my skin as well, and maybe for different reasons. I'm sure that we each are bringing um, – I suppose the script, the characters, they leave this beautiful amount of space and silence. Mm. Um, there's a lot unanswered in this film, which – I love because you can bring, you can fill that gap mm. for yourself. What really struck me was the relationship between the son and mother. Um, there's one scene, and we don't usually do this on, on the show, but I really, and I, I know it's difficult for listeners who haven't seen the film yet, but um, there's a beautiful moment towards the end of the film in which the son who has who is vision impaired and there's a lot of really interesting shots, uh, decisions made around shots, uh, around eyes, framing close-ups, um, which I find all of that stuff really, I get really mm. into. To it and um, there's a scene in which it almost looks like a painting and I, I do think that um, Trier is bringing a painterly uh, vision to her work here um, but the the son is comforted by by his mother mm. and uh, sorry he's he's comforting his mother so she comes into his arms and he holds her and it's fascinating because he's very young I think he's do you remember how old he uh, exactly he but would he's, be he would I don't know what it says in the film, but he's 13 or 14 when this was shot, the yes, actor. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, well, the firstly, the actor is amazing in this role. Yeah. Um, I mentioned him before, um, Milo Machado Grainer, and he just, he holds his mother in this way that is, it, I love it when a visual says more than what words could, and this mm. kind of, she's the one who is being, um, I think he really feels for her. Yeah. He, he, he's in the trial, in the courtroom every day. He hears all these things about his parents' relationship. Um, there's a lot of pressure and there's a shifting of who the main character is at all times. And I think this tension between the son and the mother is so fascinating because there's so much love there. There's also so much pain and they're both grieving in potentially different ways and yeah. we don't know exactly how. And they are literally at some points forbidden from just speaking privately, the two of them. Because yes. he's a witness. So he's playing a son. I mean, he is a son, but he's also a, quote, major witness, yes. as he's described. And so yeah. it's really that blurring of that boundary between actual human beings and a courtroom uh, 
position, which and is how we tend to understand uh, true crime stories. It's, yeah. it's just their position in the courtroom. They're the murderer, they're the suspect, yes. they're the witness. Yes. And while we're talking about uh, language, we should touch upon the fact that the film, and this is maybe a reason why it didn't get nominated by France for um, Best International Feature for, you know, representing France, because it, it actually, it's uh, partly in English, um, partly in French. Uh, the main character is actually German. Um, so there's lots of different languages. Mm. And throughout the trial, it's really interesting when Sandra's uh, character decides – sorry, it's confusing because you've got the actor whose name is Sandra and the character's name is Sandra. And fi- funnily enough, the um, Samuel, her husband, uh, the actor's name is also Samuel, uh, makes it very probably tidy on set, but mm. um, <laughs> hard to talk about. Anyway, the character, Sandra, uh, she shifts between mm. using English and um, I think there's a lot to unpack into why when she uses it, and that's maybe mm. for a, another spoiler episode that we will never broadcast, but yeah. I don't want to ruin it for listeners but there's a lot of really th- interesting things to unpack as you said the the uh, she's german yes um it's in france yes and she and and the, because they're in france it's all conducted the, the legal proceedings are conducted in in french at home they speak english so she's on foreign turf to you know quote a phrase from the film and the law happens in a language foreign to her. Mm. You know, she has to shift her whole understanding of everything across to this other language that she's not a native speaker of. And there's just this constant slippage, yeah, like you said, between la- languages, none of which express the whole story. No. It's and about, yeah. I, I just want to make the point while it was in my head that, that any time you were saying about, um, you know, we're talking about how truth is um, really subjective in this. Anytime someone states an absolute truth, that is, it, it seems really plain and sort of like dull, like a dull mm. weapon, you know, mm. just like oh, that's it, only when we have ambiguity, does it feel really, you know, that's, that's where the space mm. opens up and you think, oh, this mm. is, this is the stuff of life, you know. I love also how the film uses um, different language as a doubling, mm. you know, for most of us, hopefully we, we don't have to engage on a day-to-day basis in the legal system. And I've been told that Trier based a lot of this story on how different the French legal system is to say the US, um, lots of different processes, lots of different um, stages and things that need to be, it's just completely different. And just navigating that, you know, if Mm. you do have, um, you know, if you were in that situation, like this main character of the partner needing to prove either suicide or needing to prove murder, Mm. how would you navigate this? And and the way in which words and and your books would get twisted and Mm. how you'd be come across in a character reference. So I just thought there's so much in this film to unpack. It's a it's a really beautiful film that just gets richer at, with time, uh, almost. Um, mm. I've really been... It's been playing in my mind a lot today. Just one more note. Um, there's a beautiful monologue... Um, well, not really a monologue. There's a be- beautiful phrasing that um, Sandra's character also says about her son, Daniel. So, Daniel, as I mentioned before, he's vision-impaired. And Sandra talks... She's asked about pity, and I thought that there's a really beautiful observation that's made, and you get a sense of her love of, as a mother, where she starts talking about how she doesn't see, she doesn't, she doesn't enter into that because she doesn't actually see Daniel's disability as something that require, like that prompts pity for her. She sees him 
in, in his full capacity. And vision in this film is so interesting. The scenes in which the camera is used in really different ways. So the a lot of their life during this trial is being, um, you know, there's, there's people testing out different theories in their home. There's um, ca- Daniel's often being filmed mm. while um, he's recounting his steps and going through everything. And they use this really jangly um, kind of uh, handheld yeah. video camera yeah. and it comes up again later. And I just thought it was interesting, this visual representation almost of a fall that happens with a video camera. And mm. I, I noticed it throughout the film. There's all these, it's really clunky. Um, mm. And I think that the film is making, at least on the... Uh, on the level of cinematography or in the register in cinematography, it's making a really interesting comment on what we cannot see. Absolutely. There's a bit where she says, and they're talking about there's several different recordings that become part of evidence, and, and she says of one of them to the, to her lawyer, that recording is not reality. It's a part mm-hmm. of it, maybe. Yes. And he, res- yeah. he reminds her the trial is not about the truth. It's always about something subjective. It's always about just the version of the story that you can tell. And mm-hmm. one of my favourite bits of the cinematography, one of my favourite moments of it was... It, how it it never lets us forget that we're seeing a version that we're seeing through a lens and there's plenty of bits in the courtroom where the, the picture is really stable still mm. and then it will just sort of zoom in fast yeah. and reckless yeah. as if yeah. to remind us that this is just a shot you yeah. know um that that the camera is there and mm. that we're not there Yes. And it's all voyeurism. Yeah. And then you immediately feel this a bit distasteful to sort of speculate and daydream about people's lives <laughs> and deaths like this. Yes, um, so true. And even the prosecutor, who's this sort of skinhead attack dog kind of guy, it's very <laughs> unusual to see a lawyer in full, you know, uh, sort of courtroom garb, but with a shaved head. Um and he reminds us he's being paid at one point. He's like, this is why they pay me. Paid to sort it of It was follow. annoyingly charismatic. Yeah. <laughs> paid to follow this simple idea that she murdered her husband mm-hmm. in a way that is the most convincing, but more importantly, compelling to mm. the jury. And there's mm. lots of talk in there about, oh, I think it's more compelling story if she did do it. Mm. Like, well... Is that the question? Yeah. For the lawyer, it certainly is. Yeah. Um, and to do that, he has to pull out the gory details, emphasise, paint the whole thing like a story. So he's mm. a writer as well, you know. Yes, it's yes. It's not enough to present the evidence, you have to interpret it. And then we have, um, you know, the family that have to live with that trauma. It's mm. not, It's it extends beyond that. And the stories that you tell yourself. I, I think this, this film is so rich. Look, I highly recommend um, everyone to, to check out Justine uh, Trier's Anatomy of a Fall. It's currently in cinemas. And we heard previously from uh, Thomas and Sal with their picks for summer. Um, we should mention that both The Iron Claw and All of Us Strangers are also currently in cinemas. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Hi, I'm Triple R celebrity Anthony Crew, and you're tuned to the radio program Primal Screen. My film of the summer is a movie by the name of Poor Things. Since being blown away by Dogtooth back in 2009, I've been a grateful passenger on the Yogos Lantimos train, delighting in his absurdist and satirical sensibility, and in the increasing acclaim, ambition, and budgets of his brilliant decade-and-a-half-long run as the Greek weird wave auteur that even the Oscars have to love. Poor Thing retains the qualities of Lanthimos's classic jams, whilst being 
being his warmest, funniest, most accessible, and most cinematic of films. A riot of visual language, from its title cards to its closing credits, with fantastical storybook visions of steampunk London and sun-kissed Lisbon along the way, it's something akin to a feminist sex-fast fairy tale, a travelogue in which a once-innocent woman ventures out from the Frankensteinian laboratory of her birth into the world, discovering the wonders and horrors of human beings and the societies in which they dwell. Filled with wild cinematography, costumes and dancing, with countless quotable lines, and with unhinged performances from Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo, it's a joy to behold and a pleasure to rewatch. Hello, I'm Warwick Thornton, and you're listening to Primal Screen on 3 Triple R. My name is Kelsey, and you're listening to Primal Screen. One of my favourite films of 2023, I would say, is Dream Scenario. I'm literally just having seen it, so I'm still a little fresh, but I found the film to, you know, have a really quirky, surreal comedy kind of feel to it. Nick Cage, his acting was just absolutely on point, perfect, and I really felt like he disappeared into the role, which was awesome to see. But beyond that, I thought there was some, you know, really thought-provoking material in there that kind of commented on cancel culture, mass media, influencing, like really, really interesting kind of topics to explore and I felt like it did a really good job in kind of digging into these but there were some kind of unexplored unexplained um, situations particularly towards the end where it felt maybe a little rushed overall I really loved the film I thought it was really well done and super funny at times and yeah I've got a little bit more thinking a little more mulling to do on it I think but overall really really loved it so yeah dream scenario go see it thanks hello my name is Vaishnavi and this is Primal Screen I watched Saltburn over the summer and though it's rightfully drawn critiques as being derivative of Patricia Highsmith's talented Mr Ripley and not as carefully thought out as other screen content that explores the eat the rich narrative I still found it to be a fun romp with memorable explicit scenes and an inspired use of pop tunes that finale left little to the imagination if you're looking for a dark comedy with great and wacky performances this one's for you you're listening to a triple r podcast discover more podcasts from triple r exploring science technology food books social issues politics and more to listen hit up the triple r website or your favorite podcast platform you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Will Cox and Flick Ford. Um, big thank you to uh, Vaishnavi Vijokuma for that hot summer recommendation. Uh, also to Kelsey Pettifer, who does our socials for her recommendation of Dream Scenario. And at the top of that bracket, we heard from International Pop Underground's host, Anthony Carew, with his recommendation of Poor Things. Will, I feel like there was there were so many films that we wanted to talk about on our summer recap. Um, But something that allows us to do all of this is chatting about some of the award nominations. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of these films uh, didn't maybe perform as well as we might have expected. Uh, There's been a lot of chat about Barbie, but uh, we mentioned Anatomy of Fall before, which we reviewed. Yeah, I think that there has been... I'm going through the list now. It's very hard to understand. Let's dig into how this actually works and who is behind the committee that decides, uh, you know, what what films are worth watching. I think we should preface this with, and I'm guessing on air that we both feel pretty similar with this, but um, the Oscars are not not the the marker of quality cinema. The Oscars are stupid. (laughs) 
my my take is the same as always that the Oscars are stupid. I think yes. it's an absurd question, really, which is better, you know, Anatomy of a Fall or Barbie. Like if you ask somebody which is the better film out of those two, it's a deranged thing to ask. It's a dumb um, question. Yeah. yeah, poor things or past lives. What? What? <laughs> I mean, which is better, the sky or cheese? Yeah. You know, like the idea that one work of art is better than another vastly different work yeah. of art better is a false equivalence. Yeah. It's a waste of our time, I think, to discuss. It, <laughs> not on this show. No, no, I'm not saying flick this is a waste mean. of time. No, I agree. And I, I think that it's worth mentioning um, that when you look up – so the, the Oscar – the. Films themselves uh, and and who wins is decided by um, all the members of the Academy, Mm. which is mainly made up of um, what they call (laughs) affectionately, or maybe not so affectionately, rather uh, radically, I suppose, um, male, pale and stale. Male, pale, Um, stale, yeah. Well, there's something in the region of 10,500 members. Yes. Now, but that's up from in 2018, it was was 7,258. Now, in 2016, it was 94% white, 77% male. These are all estimates because there is not a complete list yeah. of the members. It's it's very opaque. They're probably um, worried they'll get hate mail or something. Yeah, well, <laughs> due, to, due to criticism, obvious criticism, um, they're trying to redress those those stats and that mm. is why I assume it's gone up by about 30% in numbers because they're adding vastly more women and non-white members and they do publicise when they add new people now because they're like look, women, yes. they're allowed you know, in the room and that probably accounts for the massive increase in numbers but look, it's 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 a very mysterious uh, process I mean, it is, it's not like some kind of legal process, you know, it's, a, it's designed to promote Hollywood production, which is what was established about 100 years ago now, 96 years or something like that. Nominations are mostly decided by the members of the branch, so directors mm. nominate directors, actors no- uh, nominate actors, and then everybody gets bashed once the nominations are done. Every, every, <laughs> every Everyone can... I shouldn't make jokes about bashing at the Oscars anymore. No. Um, uh, everyone, every member can, can nominate. And look, you, you can't lose your membership, so once you get in... You're in for life, baby. Um, you're in for life, baby. You can lose your membership if if you – I think you, you can resign, which is what Will Smith did after he punched Chris Rock in the face. Or you can – misconduct, you, you might get struck off, which to date is either sexual assault or sharing screener copies of films. <laughs> oh, <laughs> These shit. are the two ways <laughs> we're going to get struck <laughs> off with. Um, you should specify which one we're worried about here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just leave some mystery in there. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, So, look, until recently, the chances of the members being old white dudes uh, who are potentially not even in the industry anymore because they've retired or they've, you know, you know that, that accounts. It's high. I mean, that's that's yeah. much higher than, say, being a, a non-white woman. You and, know. <laughs> and it's kind of wild. So we, we have to touch upon the fact that there's been um, a bit of an outcry about Barbie not getting nominated. Look, I, I have two positions on this. I feel as though if Barbie is your feminist manual, that's a problem. You've got bigger uh, problems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if it is your, if it has been your entry point into feminist thinking, or it has been your entry point into thinking about uh, the way in which culture impacts your sense of self and your sense of autonomy and all those things, if it has been a meaningful film, and it has for many listeners, I gave it a very positive review when we reviewed it last year. Uh, not all the reviewers felt that way. Totally I really fine liked with it. it. Mm. I enjoyed 
enjoyed it. I, uh, you know, perfectly great film. But I think it's fine to to question it. And if it if it prompts people to think about the fact that of who is deciding on these awards mm. and what impact that has, we can we can say, look, it has no meaning. But it does it does change the conversation if we're awarding. Um, you know, the, the hashtag so white is still, unfortunately, so true mm. of today. There's um, uh, there's some nom- great nominations for killing um, of, I'm just blanked on the name, killing of the sacred moon, killers of the flower moon. Killers of the flower moon. Thank you. <laughs> I was combining that with Com- sacred deer. It's yeah. been a long day, okay. Um, <laughs> there's been some really interesting um, nominations that you could touch upon. Past lives didn't really get as many as I would have thought. Um, there's, a, there's a shift in diversity, but it's still not enough. And if people getting upset about Barbie not getting nominated prompts them to then say, hey, why why are these people deciding on what is cinema? Um, then that's a great conversation to be having. It is an odd discussion, though, because Barbie, I think it did get eight nominations, didn't it? So when they say it didn't get nominated, it got eight, including Best Picture. Um, yeah. 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 Did it get nominated for Best Picture? I think they're yeah. upset about uh, Margot Robbie being snubbed. I mean, comedy, uh, this isn't to justify, but comedy just on the whole is often snubbed. Um, I feel like Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, these films about, um, you know, Oppenheimer especially fits into that Oscar bait. It is like pure Oscar bait. Yeah, the phrase Oscar bait is perfect for it because it's (laughs) not, it's clearly just like it's got Oscars written all over. They may as well just have a little subtitle that says for your consideration, you know, in such key (laughs) scenes. There's an old adage that you can better understand the Oscar nomination process by substituting best with most most acting, most directing. <laughs> so my tip, if I have to give one, is Oppenheimer for most directing and most picture. Mm. Probably Blood Bradley Cooper in, in Maestro for most acting. I've heard a lot of people hated Maestro. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. I found it slid straight off me. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it at way? the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd phrasing. It's a very odd phrasing. Look, it just, I mean, it didn't make an impact, you know. It was okay. just like, oh, I saw that. <laughs> Um, like water it, off Doug's back. <laughs> yeah, sure. That may be better than the extremely visceral image that I gave you. Look, um, I think I enjoyed it, but um, it's strange that I have it. to say I think. I mean, there's there's a lot to enjoy about it. Um, Kerry Mulligan's really good. There's a yes, lot of acting in it. Yeah. They're acting so hard. And they, they it, it's because it's set in the theatre and in the stay on the stage in general, they take themselves so seriously. Mm. Films about the theatre and about film. They just like, oh, they love you know, it. Yeah, and I feel like maybe there's maybe there's a feeling of, and this comes up with biopics. Biopics constantly are nominated because maybe they feel like a sense of responsibility to the people either living or dead who this film is about. Mm. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but Annette Bening um, has been nominated for an award for her role in Nyad. Nyad, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like that again is Oscar Beatty but in a different way. I sometimes feel as though actors particularly are given or nominated for roles where they should have been nominated yeah. roles ago mm. um, but they haven't so then the Academy looks at it and it's like her turn. she needs – Yeah, it's her turn. Exactly. And so we get a lot of films that will pop up in this way. Now, there's going to be some films on this list uh, of nominations that listeners wouldn't have seen yet because they haven't yet been released here in Australia. Some people will take it upon themselves to go back and – make sure they watch all of the big nominations, particularly for Best Picture. Uh, there are so many in each of the categories that that will be a huge undertaking. I think 
it's worth mentioning that some of the films that have been nominated didn't even make uh, our primal screen top films of 2023, notably Oppenheimer. Uh, none of us voted for Oppenheimer. Um, yet so it was, it's so it was pretty bad. It was pretty. Bad. <laughs> I think that's. I think that's where we all reached of, um, a consensus on, which is very rare actually for us to reach a consensus. But uh, yeah. M- uh, and yet it's got this whole host of awards. Um, there are some really excellent films um, that are obviously getting nominated, but I'm really glad that on tonight's show we were able to spotlight some of the really amazing mm. summer films. Um, we heard before um, uh, about Poor Things and Dream Scenario, both of which it's crazy, but I've been very busy. I haven't seen either of those yet, but I'm very, very excited, particularly Poor Things because that is right up my I alley. absolutely loved Poor Things mm. and most people do, you know. Yes. I, I thought it would be a bit more um, contentious than it is. Well, um, yeah, Yorgos Lanthimos, the director of Poor Things, I feel as though I love that his films are becoming um, yeah. so much more part of the conversation because he's, he's so wonderfully the wild. person that I would have picked yeah. when I saw, say, Dogtooth or, oh, yeah, or totally. Lobster to move on to, you know, nice. huge Oscar winning kind of, you and know. And huge Hollywood cast, yeah. Mark Ruffalo, yeah. um, uh, Emma, Emma Stone. Stone. Yeah. And Emma Stone has, has you know, that and um, and the Nathan Fielder show, the, what's that called again? The, um, the rehearsal? The re- no, no, no. After the rehearsal, the recent one. Oh, God, we should um, be more prepared for this, shouldn't yes. we? <laughs> It's almost like we knew we were going to be on air or something. Um, I can't remember, but while Will is madly (laughs) Googling. The curse. The curse. So she's got these two excellent, very different roles at the same time, Mm. um, you know, in the consciousness. And both very buzzy. I've heard a lot about the curse. It's on, again, on my list. I'm basically going to set aside a weekend and watch, um, try watch all of these fantastic films. Not the Oscar noms. I'm going to watch all of these films that our wonderful Primal Screen team have recommended to us tonight. Starting from the very top, we heard from Sally Christie with her recommendation of The Iron Claw, which was reviewed uh, last week for Summer Stock with LOA and Cerise. Uh, we heard from Thomas Caldwell uh, with his recommendation, All of Us Strangers, which Will and I both saw for MQFF last year. We both love, I think it's already on our top films of this year. Do check it out. Uh, we also heard from Anthony Carew with his recommendation of Poor Things, which we just spoke about then. Uh, Kelsey Pettifer, who does our socials with her recommendation of Dream Scenario. And Vaishnava Jerkama with Saltburn, which we covered in November last year. Admittedly, we didn't give it a great review, but hey, what do we know? Uh, You've been listening. (laughs) We're just a couple of guys. We don't know anything. Yeah, we're a couple of hacks. Uh, You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. (laughs) 